things that is most comfortable in knowing who he is and understanding his character is just that. That we can hold on to him no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what is taking place, that he is in control and we can trust him. And I want to take a couple of minutes this morning to pray uh, before we look into God's word together. As we do that, I'm going to ask you to remember a couple of folks. We've been praying for uh, Brendan Zubricki, our brother and his family from Massachusetts, who come up and spend the summers up here at their cottage and are part of our church family. Uh, They're here this morning. We're glad to see you, Zubrickis. And uh, just asking that you would continue to pray for him. Uh, He is undergoing treatments for his cancer right now and ask that the Lord would continue to work in his body and in his life and in their family as well. So I want to pray for Brendan and the family. And I also want to be asking you to continue to pray for Jason and Nancy Meserve, uh, Don and Jennifer's son and their daughter-in-law. Their daughter-in-law, Nancy, has been battling cancer for several years now, and they've just let her know, uh, the doctors have just given her two to four weeks uh, to live. So we want to pray for Nancy and Jason and their family as well. So can we do that? Can we just take a minute and pray together? And then we're going to open God's Word. Father, thank you so much that you are the I am, that you are the one who never changes, that you are the one that we can trust. We are so grateful to have this privilege to cling to you in the storms of life. We are so thankful to see Brendan and Joe and the rest of the family here today continue to watch over him. Lord, place your hands on him, upon his body. We thank you for the doctors and the nurses and the treatments. We ask that you would just give him the strength to continue to fight this cancer in his body. And we ask that you would heal him as only you can do. We trust that you will do what is best in Brendan's life and in his body and family. We also ask your blessing on Jason and Nancy this morning. Lord, we thank you for the courage and the strength you've given Nancy for so long to battle. We thank you for the treatments that she has received. Thank you for Jason being right there by her side and for strengthening Don and Jennifer as well. And in these what appear to be final days, Lord, we we place them in your hands and we ask that you will work. But we also know, Lord, that every day of Nancy's life is written in your book and you are the one who is in control. So please undertake there, Lord, in those situations and circumstances. Once again, we thank you for bringing us together. And now as we open your word, we just ask that you will speak to us as only you can, Father. Help us to hear your voice this morning. And we pray that the truth will sink deeply into our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you were here last Sunday... Or if you listened online, we had a little... Tra- oh, I forgot to say hi to all the live stream folks out there. Hi, live stream people. Uh, we hope everything's coming through. Our team worked really hard this week to make some upgrades. Uh, over last week, we had a lot of trouble, so hopefully that's working well for you. And i uh, glad that you can join us there. But if you were here last week, you know that Tim got us started on a new series that we're calling The Whole Story. It's our desire that you would know the whole story of the Bible, that you would know what God is saying to us from Genesis to Revelation. This story is God's story. It's His book. All 66 books, 1,200 chapters, 31,000 verses come to us 
from God. The Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit was the one who gave the words of Scripture to the authors who wrote it. Some 40 people over 1,500 years wrote what we have now in our Bible as they were guided by the Holy Spirit. And as we look through it over the next several months, we want you to see Jesus Christ in all of these books. We want you to see that we don't just see Jesus in the Gospels. We don't just see him in the New Testament. We see him all throughout God's Word. And we also want you to see that God is going to reveal his character to us through all of these books. He's going to show us who he truly is. And of course, we're going to see that all of these books tie together in one continuous story of God's desire to glorify himself by redeeming mankind, by redeeming a people, by by building a family, a kingdom for himself. We must want to know who God is. We need to understand his character. If we don't do that, we're going to misinterpret what he's done. This is a lifelong process, and it certainly doesn't happen overnight. And by the way, this series isn't going to happen overnight. How many people were a little nervous when they heard Tim say, we're going to start a series that's going to take us 18 months to finish? I can't see if you're holding up your hand. In fact, I can only see about three people right now. Everybody else is window tint and glare from the sun. So anyway, if that, ma- thank you. <laughs> if that made you nervous, I hope that you will see that it will be profitable as we walk through this long story But as we find so many things, we learn so much about God and what he is doing. Last week, Tim started in the book of Genesis, and we saw that God gave Abraham a promise, didn't he? He gave him a promise that he would make his family great. Abraham, I'm going to give you lots of descendants, and your family is going to be great. And in fact, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the whole world through your family. That's what God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. That's what Tim showed us last week. Later, when God reaffirmed that promise to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you so many descendants, it's going to look like the stars in the sky, millions and millions of descendants in your family. Well, after God made that promise to Abraham, how many people know how many sons that God gave Abraham? One. One son. And that one son, Isaac, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Not getting off to a very good start, are we? I thought we were supposed to have millions, God. I thought you were going to bless my family. I thought you were going to make my family great. I thought we were going to impact the entire world. And then Jacob, Abraham's grandson, had 12 sons. And from those 12 sons came a family of 70 people. One of those sons, Joseph, ended up in Egypt. That's a long story for another time. In fact, it takes the whole second half of the book of Genesis. Joseph ends up in Egypt. He ends up in a position of power in the middle of a famine, and the whole family, all 70 people, move to Egypt to be with Joseph and to be where there is food so that they can survive. This is God's provision for them. 400 years go by in your Bible. When you open your Bible today, open it to Exodus chapter 3. 
And while you're getting to Exodus chapter 3, the last page of Genesis and the first page of Exodus, there's 400 years in there. There's 400 years that we don't read anything about. And in 400 years, Abraham's family, that was just him, and then became 70, in 400 years became 2 million. So now there are 2 million people in Abraham's family, and we get to Exodus, and that's where we are this morning. And we're introduced to Moses, and Moses himself is kind of a miracle because he's a Jew, he is an Israelite, and he survives this plan to wipe out all Jewish babies. You can read about that in Exodus 1 and 2. There's this whole story to wipe out all the Jewish babies, and Moses is saved. God preserves him. And so Moses grows up. In fact, he grows up in Pharaoh's own household because it's Pharaoh's daughter who saves him. And he's educated in the ways of the Egyptians, but in his heart, he knows he's a Jew. He knows he's an Israelite. And as he's going about his business one day, he sees an injustice happening, and he rises up and he murders an Egyptian. And because of that, he has to flee into the backside of the desert. He has to hide because people are seeking his life. And that's what's happening when we come to Exodus chapter 3 that we're going to look at here this morning. In Genesis, we saw that God was working in a family. In Exodus, we're going to see that God is working in a nation. And he wants to make the Israelites his people, his nation. And it's in Exodus that God really begins to reveal his character. He really begins to show us who he is and his plan to establish a special relationship with the family of Abraham. In Exodus chapter 6 and verse 3, God says this, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I want you to keep this thought in mind over the next few minutes as we look at this passage that we must seek to know who God truly is and that this is a process. And I don't want you to get discouraged and I don't want you to be overwhelmed. It's going to take some time. But know this, that we will never trust what God does until we understand what He is doing. We will never trust what God does until we understand what he's doing. Jump into Exodus chapter 3 with me, and we're going to see how that unfolds for us here this morning. Exodus 3 and verse 1 says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So we're going to just kind of walk our way through this passage and see a few things here, but... What we notice here in this first verse is that Moses is out there. He's way out there. Remember what I said? He murdered an Egyptian. And so he had gone away to hide, to preserve his life. And we see in verse 3 of Exodus 1 that he is on the backside of the desert. Have you ever been going somewhere that you've never been before and 
you're back like here in our wonderful state of Maine and there's a whole tangle of roads and you don't have any idea where you are or where you're going and some guy, somebody gives you direction and they, and they say, well, go to the end of that road and you'll see a barn that's falling down and when you get there, hang a left and go another 10 miles, right? You ever gotten directions like that? I know I have. And that's Moses. Go to the end of civilization and then keep going. That's where Moses is, the backside of the desert. He's out of touch. He's out of circulation. He's out of service. He's done. Life is over for Moses. He had so much promise. Now he's a murderer. And there's nothing left for him. That's where he is. But look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Now it says the angel of the Lord, but from the context and from the language, we, t- we know that this is God. This is not an angel. This is God himself. And there's a bush, and it's on fire, but it's not burning up. Now if we look at the word bush here in Hebrew, the actual term that is used here is blackberry bush. You have blackberry bushes at your house? I have blackberry bushes right across my driveway from my house. There's really not much to them. It's a spindly little stalk with a few branches and little leaves and lots of thorns. And I have to imagine that if it was on fire, it would be gone like that. But this blackberry bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. It's not burning up. And Moses has been on the backside of the desert. We find out later he's been there for 40 years. He doesn't even see people. And he's walking along. He's leading the sheep. And this bush is on fire. But he can tell it's not burning up. And it says here, he looked and behold, the bush was not burning. Now, the word behold is very interesting here. The word behold is an interjection. If you remember your grammar class from middle school and the parts of speech, an interjection is a little word at the beginning of a sentence like whoa or wow or hey. And that's the word here, behold. And we read our English Bible, we read behold, and we go, behold, the bush was not burning. But that's not what was happening here. That's not how Moses said it. He was walking along. He saw the bush. He said, whoa, what is this? What's happening? Verse 3, Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord, verse 4, saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. There's some really important stuff for us to see here in these two verses. If you can grab anything this morning, grab these two verses and see what's happening here in this whole interaction between God and Moses. First of all, look what Moses says. He says, I will turn aside. What's he saying? Moses is saying, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. What was Moses doing? Shepherding, walking, 
moping. I don't know what he was doing. Whatever he'd been doing for the last 40 years out on the backside of nowhere. But Moses said, I'm going to turn aside. I'm going to stop what I'm doing and see what's going on here. Friends, I want you to hear this, okay? Sometimes God needs to get our attention. Have you ever been at this kind of point in your life where you're just, you're just doing it? Whatever it is in your life, every day, you're getting up, you're getting dressed, you're doing what you got to do, you're coming home, you're doing whatever you do at home, you go to bed, you get up the next morning, you just keep doing it without thought, over and over, this is my life, this is what's happening, this is what I'm doing. And sometimes God needs to get our attention. And that's what he's doing here with Moses. It's been 40 years of him wandering around with sheep. God says, Moses! I want you to notice as well that when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him. I want you to notice that when God saw he had Moses' attention, then he spoke. That's when he spoke to him. Is God trying to get your attention? That's what you need to ask yourself this morning. That's what I want you to be thinking about. Is God trying to get your attention? Has he been trying to stop what you are doing and get you to focus on him? That's what's happening here with Moses. God wants to speak to you. He wants to direct you. He wants to guide you. And the question is, are you paying attention? Have you ever been, uh, for those of you that are parents, have you ever been in the middle of a situation where you're asking your child to do something and you said it maybe once, twice, 25, 40 times and they're still not doing it? You need to pick up your room. You need to pick up your toys. You need to clean your room. You need to do this. And you know the penny's not dropping. You know they're not hearing. Then what do you do? You walk over and you go like this, right? Look at me. Look me in the eyes. You need to do this. And it still doesn't work because kids have this amazing ability to look at you and not even see you. (laughs) And you put your hands on either side of their face and you guide their eyes right into yours. (laughs) You're desperately trying to get their attention. And that's what God is doing to Moses here. He's desperately trying to get his attention. Moses turns aside. He's watching for a bit. He sees the bush. It's burning. It's not being consumed. Moses is like this. Imagine yourself watching the bush. You're watching. This is weird. I'm on the backside of the desert. And then what happens? What does the verse say? What happens? Moses! (laughs) Moses is already thinking this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And then all of a sudden, the bush talks to him. Well, actually, God is talking to him. But he talks to him out of the bush. Moses! And what does Moses say? He says, here I am. Now, again, this seems very formal to us. Behold! This bush is not burning. That's not what he said. He said, whoa! This bush is burning. 
and then God speaks to him out of the bush, and Moses in our English Bible says, here I am. Do you know what word is there in the Hebrew Bible? Do you know what the word is? It's the same word. It's the same word as behold from verse 2. When God speaks to him out of the bush, Moses, what does Moses say? He says, whoa, what's happening? The bush is burning, now it's talking to me. God speaks to him, verse 5. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The word holy means sacred. It means set apart. It means for special use only. By the way, this is the first time that the word holy is used in the Bible. It's the first time in Exodus chapter 3. And next week we're going to see a lot more about it when we get into Leviticus. But it's holy ground, Moses. Moses is starting to learn who God is. Why is this ground holy? This ground is holy because God is here. So now we know a little bit more about God than we did a little bit ago. Moses is learning. We are learning. Verse 6, And God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So God identifies himself. And Moses can't bear to look at God's glory. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land to a place, to a land uh, that is good and broad, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So what's God trying to do to Moses? God is trying to get Moses to focus his attention on him. Moses, look at me. Look at me. I'm the God of your fathers. I was Abraham's God, Isaac's God, Jacob's God, Joseph's God. I'm your God, and I'm here, and I want to take these guys out of here, and I know what's happening. I see it all. I will deliver them. Come on, let's go. That's what God's saying to Moses. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am, do you see it there if you're looking at your Bible? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Did you see that? What did God say in the, first, in the few verses we read before that? He said, Moses, I am God. I've seen them. I will do this. I will deliver them. And then what did Moses say? Who am I? Who am I that I can get the people out of here? I can't do this. Moses. You missed the whole point. You forgot the most important part. But before we get too hard on Moses, remember that God had appeared to Moses' forefathers, but he had not fully revealed who he was. Remember we read that verse right at the beginning from Exodus 6? 
He hadn't fully revealed who he, he was. So yes, Moses is like us. Moses was focused on himself at this point. But he really didn't know who God was. He really didn't know yet. He didn't fully understand. Look at verse 12. And God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses. Moses, I'll do it. You can trust me. I'll be with you. This is what God says to him. This is a back and forth conversation, though. Now look what Moses says. Then Moses said to God, apparently having gotten over the fact that he was talking to a disembodied voice that was coming out of a burning bush. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So what is Moses saying? He's saying, Okay, okay, I hear you, God. The God of my fathers, I hear you. But I have to tell you, that's not going to mean much to them. It's not going to mean much to them because they don't really know who you are either. The people of Israel don't really know who you are, God. Verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. What in the world does that mean? I am? Tell me your name, God. I am. What does that mean? God says, this is my name. The Hebrew word that is used here in this passage is Hayah. And it literally means to be or to exist. I am. What does that mean? What does that matter? I am. I exist. That's what God is saying. I have always existed. I always will exist. I have no past, and I have no future. I am. Have you ever opened your Bible to the very first page? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Do you know what it says there? Does it say, and God began to be? Does it say, and God came into existence? Does it say, and God was created? No, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was already in existence because he has always existed. I am, he says. I exist. I have no beginning. I will have no end. I am the same God 
several hundred years ago that covenanted, that promised your forefather Abraham that I would make his family great. I'm the same God. I am self-existent, we say, of God, as we learn from his word. Why is this important? Friends, God, in his self-existence, is everything that we are not. He is everything that we are not. I have to tell you that this week, in a couple of these beautiful days, Tim and I were up on a roof. Two stories, big long ladder, staging, ripping roofing off, fixing leaks, doing all kinds of stuff, putting the roof back, and we went up and down the ladder, up and down, up and down. Must have gone up and down 20, 25 times each day, carrying stuff, working, 85 degrees on Thursday. And you know what? You know what I learned? I'm not the same as I was 10 years ago. (laughs) I'm not the same. I mean, I'm still here, but I'm not the same. I was stronger 10 years ago. I was in better shape 10 years ago. My knees didn't hurt as much 10 years ago because I was younger. I change. I'm getting old. God is everything that we are not. He never diminishes. He never needs to get better because He is. He is perfect. He is holy. He doesn't require contributions from other people to His existence. He is never any less. He is. He's unchanging. He's unfailing. He's undiminished. Wow. Moses is learning about who God is in this passage. Verse 15, last verse. And God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses, I'm the same God, and I always will be. Moses, you tell them, mark this moment. From this moment on, you know who I am. You know my name. And you know that I never change. This was was huge for Israel. They were coming to know who God really was. And they were coming to the place where they were going to learn what it means to really trust Him. Because if you know anything about the book of Exodus, you know that in just a few chapters, what's going to happen? Moses is going to lead them out. God is going to release them. And what's going to happen? They're going to flee, and they're going to come smack dab face to face with the Red Sea. And they're going to say, what are we going to do? And God says to Moses, raise your staff and the waters, the waters, the walls of water will rise up beside you and you'll walk across on dry ground to freedom. And what did Israel have to do, friends? What did they have to do? They had to trust him, didn't they? Because the water was standing, towering above them. And they had to trust him. 
And that's what they're learning. They're beginning to learn who he is so that they can trust what he's doing. Can I tell you something, folks? You will never trust what God does until you understand who he is. Do not forget that this, all of this, this whole Bible is God's story. We walk around every day. We get up. We care for our families. We interact with our friends. We do our jobs. We fulfill our responsibilities. And all the time we're saying, what is God doing? What is God doing in the world? What is God doing in my life? I mean, if you've never said that before, I guarantee you've said it at some point over the last couple of months, right? Right? What is God doing? This is His story. Can I ask you this question as we close this morning? Let me ask you this. What is happening in your life right now that you are looking at the same way that Moses was looking at the plight of Israel? What are you looking at the same way as he did? What are you looking at and saying, I can't do this? That's what Moses was saying. He was looking at two million people in slavery, God, and you want me to do this? You want me to lead them out? I can't do this. What are you looking at in your life right now that you are saying the same thing? Is it a physical situation, a physical problem in your body? Is it emotional? Is it a mental struggle? Is it your spiritual condition? Is it your finances? Is it your family? Is it your marital relationship? What is it? I can't do this, God. And what is God saying to you, folks? He's trying to get your attention. He's using everything that's happening in your life right now to get your attention. And he's trying to tell you this. Look, it's not who you are. It's who I am. I know you don't have the resources to fix this. I know you can't change this by yourself. I understand. But it's who I am. God is revealing himself to you through all that's happening in your life. You may look around and you may say, oh, this is random. This is ridiculous. I don't even know why this stuff happens. It just happens. It has no rhyme or reason to it. That's not true. That's not true. God is trying to get your attention to reveal himself to you because he wants a covenant relationship with you just like he wanted with the nation of Israel. And you may be sitting there this morning and you say, I can't trust God. I don't know him. It's okay. That's why we're here. That's why we've been challenging you to read your Bible for yourself, to hear it being taught, to be a part of a small group, to come to an equip, equip class, to learn who God is. I understand you will never trust him until you understand who he is. So please, I'm begging you. Allow God to reveal himself to you. Learn who he is. Understand what he is trying to say to you. And realize that every single moment of every day 
You need him. You need him. That's the point that I'm at in my life. Not perfectly because I'm not perfect, that's for sure. I'm at the point in my life where I realize, Lord, I need you. Every hour of this day, I need you. You're all I have. The I am. The one who knows. The one who is not surprised by anything. Will you sing this song with us? Joe and Tyra are going to lead us in this song. Lord, I need you. I pray that that will be the thought of your heart this morning and as we leave here. And then after they sing, I'll come back and we'll close our service. Folks, by the way, he's still the I am. Thousands of years later, God is the same. He's still gracious. He's still loving. He's still holy and kind and just. He is all those things. He is unchanging. He is undiminished. The question I want you to leave with this morning is this. Will you turn aside from what you're doing and listen as he reveals himself to you? That's his desire, that you would know him. You'll never trust what he is doing until you understand who he is. Father, we are so grateful for your loving care. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. May we learn it. May we learn to trust you. May we grow in our strength and understanding of who you are and our need for you. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us today. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for this beautiful day and this place that we can gather and worship. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for coming, folks. I hope you have a great day. Enjoy your weekend. Happy Memorial Day.